Welcome to the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels. We've got a great show planned for you today. As always, it's an interesting one. College football with Rob Crowder is going to lead off the show. Some interesting developments. A new playoff picture is looming with Texas A&M's upset. And Alabama keeps their undefeated season alive. We'll get into all that and more. And I have a special interview with Zach Dressler. He works for BuzzFeed. He has a wealth of experience in this industry. I'm going to talk to him about that as well as what it was like to run in a race against Usain Bolt. You're not going to want to miss that. It's the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Let's start the show. It's that time again, college football on the Money Mitch Effect, and with that, I'm bringing back a reoccurring guest, Rob Crowder. Thanks for joining the program. Definitely. I'm always glad to be here. So, Rob, it's finally here. We got our first playoff ranking last week, and of course, we don't expect it. We never expect it to be the same. Already one major shakeup. We'll start right with that. The number four team in the ranking, a little controversial pick, was Texas A&M with one loss. Now with two losses, they lose to Mississippi State 35-28. to Rob, I'll start with this. I know we were always expecting shakeups, but was this the upset you thought would come? I, it caught me a little bit by uh, surprise considering how poor Mississippi State's been playing all season. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think it was a huge upset. There's, there's no doubt about it. Mississippi State came into the game as a heavy underdog, and, and they're not really a team that you think would move the ball against a, a really talented team. So I think I think they kind of shocked the world, but you know also with Texas A&M, Trevor Knight going out with the injury, that's you know a curveball you can't really anticipate pregame. So yeah, no, I agree with that, and I think it, there's always the injury factor, especially at the quarterback position. But defensively, I had my doubts about this team, Rob, all season because at times they look like an elite defense, but we saw it in Week One against UCLA where they got burned in the fourth quarter. Alabama finally, you know, obviously Alabama's a dominant team, but they put points on them in a hurry. And even Tennessee put a lot of points up late. I think this was when that bend but break don't defense finally did break. And it happened against a team that, you know, maybe they were uh, looking past a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like they were they were trying to scheme in a certain manner. And Mississippi State just had their number. I mean, every time they need a first down off of a change of possession, they got it. I don't think they had their first three and out until the late third, early fourth, uh, Mississippi State. So, I, you know, it, it seemed like Mississippi State came in uh, with with a plan in mind and executed it and then got lucky with Trevor Knight going down. And, and I think all the dominoes fell where they needed to for Mississippi State to truly pull it out. They get the win of their season, 35-28. A&M's playoff hopes are pretty much finished. We'll get into the playoff picture in a moment uh, specifically. But the game that we thought would be the game of the week turned into a defensive struggle like it always does. Rob Alabama beats LSU 10 to nothing. And you can say what you want about Alabama's offense struggling at times. This was a rivalry game. But that defense, I don't know that I can... I'd have to go back a few years, Rob, to talk about a defense as dominant as what we're seeing from the Crimson Tide this season. Yeah, I think you'd have to harken back to 2011 when uh, when the original LSU Alabama, you know, that doubleheader that turned into a championship later on in the season mm-hmm. came about. I think I think we're seeing that kind of level of Alabama play. LSU hasn't had as successful a season as 
as that past one. I mean, they're five and three right now, still ranked nineteenth, which to me I think is kind of shocking. But yeah. um, obviously they can hang with Bama, but have trouble scheming with other teams. So Alabama again, they're the team to beat. There's no one else with that kind of talent, and no one else has Saban shutting out one of the best programs in the history of the game. So. Yeah, it, Nick Saban obviously understands the strengths of all of his team, and he he's one of the best things Saban does, in my opinion, is understand the flow of the game. He's got a team that has been known to you know play where they can win in shootouts, they can win a low-score games. I think you saw pretty early that his defense could pretty much do whatever they want to LSU's offense. So I think he adjusted his game plan uh, to that. I think I think that's something where he he really shines. And look. The offense didn't play that well, uh, but you're playing LSU on the road primetime. You're going to have rough games. I think, Rob, this was more of a case of they understood that 10, 13 points is probably going to be enough to win, and they just minimized the chances that they took. Right, right, definitely. So now as we as we look forward to uh, a lot of different conferences, I want to stay on the SEC because, look, all conferences, Big Ten comes to mind off the top of the, off the, top of the head. Even the Pac-12 can be weighted in certain divisions. Uh, when, you, when you talk about the conferences split up into two halves. But, man, this SEC, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in this championship game or who's going to get there on the other side, but pretty lopsided, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the haves and the have-nots. I think some teams have also been dealt pretty bad cards in that, in that manner. Like Ole Miss looked like they were going to have a promising season and didn't really turn out, and then now Chad Kelly's out for the season. Auburn's kind of you know, the dark horse in that conference. But if you look at the at the SEC East, you know, you got three, what, three or four teams, maybe even five that could still win that conference or that division um, and meet, you know, what looks to be Alabama in the SEC title game. So, yeah, it's definitely not the SEC of old. Tennessee sitting at two and three, and Bandy's only one game off of Tennessee, and then Florida's head of the conference at four and two, which would be best at third in the SEC West. So, you know, no one could have really predicted that the season would kind of shake out this way. Yeah, and you got Kentucky that's still on the mix. I mean, this is getting ridiculous. Um, I think, and then, you know, the other thing, too, is now Florida plays LSU at the end of the season. Tennessee could be in that title game. Kentucky or Vanderbilt can push for it. I mean, it's a mess, and I don't think there's any other outcome but Bama winning by a lot of points in the SEC title game and a lot of people switching their televisions to uh, whatever midday programming is on. Bama is clearly the best team in college football, but the SEC, there's some tough teams within Bama's own division, but if they get by Auburn at the end of the season, which is no slouch, I just can't see a team in that SEC East challenging them whatsoever. No, not at all, especially especially in that division matchup. Yeah, and once they reach the college football playoff, the only team that really are stacking up are the other three undefeated and they have no cakewalk left so yeah you know Michigan still got to meet Ohio State I guess Washington's got the easiest finish up right and then Clemson Clemson's deadly no matter what so it looks like it's going to be a fun setup because Louisville's probably going to sneak in maybe Ohio State there's going to be a lot of firepower challenging Alabama but I don't know if those teams are ready to make the like Alabama. Yeah, certainly doesn't look to be the case. Talking with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch effect. You mentioned some of those other teams, Rob. Everybody else, with the exception of A&M this week, held true to form. 
and they did so in dominant fashion. Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan. Washington was tested a little bit, but they reigned supreme at the end. So these are teams that are competing against each other, but I agree with you in this sense, Rob, that the setup is pretty fair. A lot of these teams know that if they win out, that they're probably going to be in the playoff. Louisville's the only team that needs a little help, but I do think it's fair that everybody else pretty much knows you win out, you're in the playoff. Yeah, and I think I think right now it's the top six that are really vying for that spot. A lot of people think Oklahoma or Wisconsin could be dark horses, but I, I don't really know. I think I think a lot of dominoes would have to fall to kind of jump into the seven and twos at this rate. West Virginia's got one loss, but they still have to match up against OU. OU's undefeated in the conference, but has two out of conference losses. So it'll be curious to see, and they still have to meet Oklahoma State, who only has one loss. Right. And those two teams control their own destiny in the Big 12. So, But honestly, I don't think the Big 12 is going to sneak in um, based on the firepower that's kind of lurking in other conferences. Yeah. You know, just, below, just below the top rung. Yeah, and I, I, I heard you sneak in that Oklahoma has, State has one loss. <laughs> I heard that. that was, oh, in conference. In yeah. conference. No, but I, <laughs> I think that's a whole other discussion. In the um, yeah, no, I, I understand. And uh, just joking, obviously. And I think, too, um, to go off that, I'll go off topic for a little bit. I like a 14 playoff. Eight would be watering it down, especially this year. I mean, I, I like the drama of four teams in. I think when you get to eight, then you really take away the importance of the regular season. Yeah, and I think with a four, you're truly getting the heaviest hitter in the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you're, getting, you're getting the big dogs that have won their games. They're not, you know, losing a close game. They've won their big games. You know, they've proven that they're going to be top of their division, top of their conference, and they deserve to play for, you know, a national title. Right. You'd have multiple two-loss teams, you know, in the uh, in the playoff if that were the case, if there were eight teams. So I'm glad that it is four, and I think it's pretty good. I want to talk to you, though, Rob, about one thing in particular. I'm the farthest thing from a Bobby Petrino defender, but having said that, his comments actually did make sense about the race for the playoff picture, Rob, that he said blowout wins. He doesn't get the concept of them. And I kind of agree with that. I, un- I understand where he's coming from. When you A win should be a win. An impressive win should be an impressive win. But I don't think politicking should take place to where you're beating a team by 70 or you know 50 or 60 or, in Michigan's case, 70, that that should make a difference say, than, say, a 30 or 40-point win. Yeah, I think I think you kind of run back to the BCS where teams that late in the season were looking to run up the score, like a Baylor or a TCU, because their strength of schedule didn't match up, or you know the high test was mm-hmm. there, so they're so they're beating teams by like you know eighty each game if they're if they're outgunning them just so that you know the the committee or or you know in this case the, when the BCS was around the computers are saying look they beat this team by X amount of points and I don't. I don't really think that's how it should be. I mean, I think it should really be, you know, that, that the big head-to-head, you know, you, you, you see how teams play. So I think the committee is, is coming at this from a, from a pretty good standpoint and realizes, you know, like, like Louisville's got some big fire, but they lose to Clemson. So they deserve to be on that five spot right now. Of, of course, of course. And I also think that when you put – these teams on the field, especially with the committee now, we should be past the point where a 70-point win, you know, makes more difference than a 50-point win. Petrino referenced the Florida State game. 
a very impressive win at the time, even so now, uh, a program-defining win for Louisville. But what would he have gained? What would the sport really have gained if Lamar Jackson was still in there late in the fourth, running it up? You gain nothing from it. I mean, you, you definitely get to see this exciting player, but it's like you already know they've won. Yeah, the game's over. The game, you know? Yeah. So talking with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch effect, if we look now, Rob, at the detailed playoff picture, Alabama won. Michigan, Clemson vying for that two spot. Washington's going to move up into the top four. You talk about Ohio State, Louisville, and then you get to the two lost teams. Uh, and then West Virginia, obviously, still with one loss. But, Rob, if there's a team we've seen in the past make moves, the dark horse coming outside the top four, top six or seven even, is there anybody that you see in the rankings that you think a long shot but could vault up into that playoff picture? Yeah, um, uh, just looking at the rankings, I think Texas A&M kind of plays themselves out. Um, dark horse. I hate, I hate to be kind of punny, but what happens if Western Michigan wins out? Ooh, you know, yeah. Flex, they've been falling out for ended up being 14th in the AP recently, and, and what, the college football playoff, they're sitting at, like, what, the 10 or 15 range? Yeah, yeah, they're uh, the ranking right now is 14. I don't have the playoff uh, picture in front of me, but they're a top 14 in the AP poll. Coach's poll has them a little lower, but they're definitely the top candidate for. I think it's and correct me if I'm wrong. It was at top 10 or so. They could get that automatic bid for New Year's Day game, so we could be looking at them playing in the uh, in a big bowl game. But no, if they went out and get some help, I think there's something there. Two teams though, Rob, come to mind, and it's all at this point in the season. You know, obviously what you've done, but also uh, who you have left to beat. Look at Penn State. Now, if they beat Michigan, they will have beaten Michigan and Ohio State this year. And they could be in a three-way tie or a direct tie for the Big Ten title. It's not likely, but it's very possible there. And then Auburn, if they beat Bama, I know they're 7-2 ranked 8th. I think they put themselves right back in position. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you topple Bama, that immediately puts you in the conversation. And the fact that they're already sitting at eight. Is extremely beneficial because you know what? What do you do if they beat Bama? You know they have two losses. Bama has one. Where do you slot Bama? I mean, you know that Auburn beat them. You know, so how do you do? You put them still above Auburn, even though they have one loss and Auburn has two. I think I think if that happens, you know, that's a major oh, major oh, curveball. Oh be, uh, yeah, we're looking at major ramifications because Bama one loss having beaten as many ranked teams as they have, I think they're still right in the playoff picture with the loss to, at the, it will be then a top five Auburn team. Louisville's going to be hurting from there. Washington, now that's the team though. I want to see how they perform the way out. They have to win out. It can be done, but we know the SC, the uh, Pac-12, especially after dark, can, can give us some surprises. So they're still, and I agree, I think there's definitely a clear path for what the what the playoff looks like, but we're not out of the woods yet. There could still be some major earthquakes here. Oh, totally. And and if you look at who Washington has remaining, they have USC, ASU, and Washington State. Two of those teams just are air raids, essentially. That's ASU and Washington State. They're just going to pile up yards and put up points. And then USC, you never know. Are they going to? Is it going to be the good USC showing up, or is it the bad USC? They've been a pretty bipolar team. So they, they've got no cakewalk to finish out the season. Yeah, Washington State, I'm glad you brought that up. That is going to be a game. I'll set my calendar for that, take a look at some of the uh, point spreads on that one. I think Mike Leach definitely has the weapons finally to uh, 
make some waves in that big rivalry game. Interesting to see what Leach is saying the week before because you know he's notorious for saying ridiculous things <laughs> to the media, so it'll be entertaining <laughs> from that standpoint as well. Uh, Mike, Mike Leach is always an entertaining coach, and that will just intensify as his team gets better. All right, now talk with Bro- talk with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch effect. Uh, real quickly, can we put a uh, nail in the coffin of the Heisman race? Is it over? Is it Lamar Jackson's trophy? Unless he goes down or, or just has the three worst games of his life, I think I think he's got that nail in that coffin. He's been putting on a show every week. I mean, what, he had five touchdowns and half of college? Yeah. So, dude is balling. <laughs> yeah. He's only got, what, he's got Wake Forest, Kentucky, and Houston remaining, so I don't see why he wouldn't be putting up the same numbers against those three teams. Yeah, all due respect to Browning at Washington and Watson, obviously, at Clemson, but it's Jackson's award. And I think the only real argument is, is he clearly the best, obviously he's going to win the Heisman based on how that award merits and how it is dished out. But the only other player that I would compare Rob as, as good as him in college football is Jabril Peppers in Michigan. That's a fair debate. And if you're really talking about football, it's close between those two. Yeah, definitely. As soon as you started talking about, you know, the other guy, my mind went to Peppers before you said it. I mean, the the dude's played, you know, pretty much every position this season, except maybe the O-line. The guy just gets the game, and whatever situation you put him into, he's successful. He's scoring points. He's defending, you know. uh, We haven't seen a player like him since the other number, what was it, 21 for Michigan? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Woodson. He, uh, He was pretty good himself. But, no, I think... He's an X-factor. He does a little bit of everything. Defensively, there's no more dominant player in college football. And that is uh, a weapon that makes them deadly, makes them dangerous at all times. Michigan's tough, but he's the main reason for that. I think Peppers, as a pure football player, which we don't necessarily always see the Heisman, an offensive award, uh, give an award people, but I think Peppers is right there as the best player in college football. Before we get to the picks, I want to... Just pour out, let's say we'll pour out a little liquor for two uh, teams that are struggling right now. Michigan State and Notre Dame, oof. They're going to be bowl ineligible, it appears. And Michigan State already is bowl ineligible. Notre Dame would have to win out. What do you think, Rob, happened to these two proud collegiate programs? Well, I, I think with Notre Dame, it's pretty simple. I mean, they've got the pieces on offense, at least in my mind. But they can't defend... I think the Big 12 defenses look at them and go, that's a bad defense, which says a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So they just have one of the worst defenses I've seen this season, and they haven't been able to get the stops when they need to, and and they're losing a play to teams that, frankly, with the recruiting that they have, it shouldn't even be close. And also they got a bad deal when they played NC State in that monsoon. So they're clearly able to put up points. They put up... 47, 39, 28, 35, 50, and then minus the NC State game. They're, they're putting up the points. They just can't stop. And I, I think we saw it against Navy. They're just not only is the, is the, the talent not lining up right now, the discipline's not lining up. Because when you play Navy, you got to play a disciplined defense and match your man, and they just ran all over him and took it to him. And then Michigan State, where do you begin there? Like, they lost to Illinois this week. That, so, yeah. well. <laughs> that is, well, you're right about Notre Dame, 100%. Defensively, they're one of the worst teams in college football. And we can talk personnel. We can talk about adversity that they face with 
guys getting injured or guys you know getting arrested and kicked off the team. But Rob, that happens to every college team to a degree. Uh, and I understand there's a setback, but this is inexcusable for that team. That team should not be losing to uh, another to a Navy at home, to Duke, to all these other teams that they're losing to. Uh, Michigan State, they've got killed at home, and Michigan State's going to be ineligible. They're That's hanging out with Rutgers in the cellar of the Big Ten East right now. They're both 0-6, and, and they both have a 2-7 record. Now, if you're missing in the same breath as Rutgers or Kansas, you've got to figure something out because stuff is going majorly wrong. Now, that being said, though, Michigan State did beat Notre Dame, so that's, you know, fairly comical at this point. But they're losing to Northwestern, giving up 54 points, losing at Maryland, at Illinois, and then now they have Rutgers, Ohio State, and Penn State at the back end. You know, they're lucky if they steal one against Rutgers. Yeah, they got to beat Rutgers. That's uh, look. I'm on record as saying I like Mike D'Antonio. I think the talent dried up. He's had the season from hell, so to speak. Uh, those tend to happen. Um, I think he gets a pass, but he can't lose to Rutgers. I mean, that's indefensible. That's uh, a cardinal sin at the collegiate level is if you lose to Rutgers. Yeah, and I mean they're on a seven-game skid. They actually have a worse losing streak than Rutgers at the moment. So. I, I think they, I mean, who knows? They could play Rutgers, beat them, and then that's the spark that, you know, maybe they come out against Ohio State and Penn State and are at least competitive. But, you know, right now it doesn't, it's not looking that way. No, it's and, not. And and I think you, you also have to kind of delve into, a lot of people are saying Antonio might be on the block in it. I don't, I don't think so. I think he's enough to, to have one train wreck of a season and kind of see where it goes next season. But, Man, this is yeah. kind of unheard of from a, a, a coach with the talent level and the recruiting that they've been able to kind of put together in the past couple of years. Right, he's, he's won 10 games the last you know, four straight years. I think he gets a pass this year. But Brian Kelly? Hmm, I don't know. That's an interesting one to me. And we'll segue right into our coaching carousel uh, segment. I think Kelly, I look, I outlined a couple weeks ago how he probably is a little overrated if you look at his record and what he's done. And you take away one of his outlier years when they went undefeated going into the title game before they got thrashed. I don't know if Kelly's 100% safe. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's just a lot of disappointment in the program right now. And, and with that kind of, with the Notre Dame, you know, aura, and, and, and you, you've got to be winning games and at least be competitive. And right now, you can't even argue that they're being competitive at 3-6. and six. Man, it's it's gonna be interesting. I I could see him being fired, but honestly, I think he got you the title game in a couple of years ago. So I think you give him one more one more season, one more half season, see what happens. But he's not doing himself any favors right now. No, he's not. Talking with Rob Crowder on the Money Mitch effect. All right, now it's time to make our picks for this week. Some interesting games. We got a lot of trap games out there. And before we get to the heavy hitters, Rob. Tomorrow night, one of my favorite traditions in November, the return of Maction football. Kent State hosts Western Michigan. I know we're bullish on them, and Kent State's 18.5-point underdogs, but is there any chance that they could pull off the upside it is Maction on a weekday? It's the Maction, and you're dealing with a team that just got its highest ranking in decades, if not ever. I think the seed's planted. It's whether Kent State shows up. They're 2-3 and three in the MAC going against you know an undefeated team, but... We saw what Mississippi State did. We saw what South Carolina did to Tennessee. It's college football, and there's more parity than ever, and it's the match. So <laughs> yeah. I'm 
hoping to see some good action, you know. I'm gonna get those shirts. It's we're gonna make those shirts. It's the action. Anything's possible. That's gonna be on the uh, on the agenda. But I think look, Kent State is. I think they're gonna keep it close. They covered the spread against Alabama, at Alabama. So I think they can play Western Michigan. I don't think a lot of these teams are that much better uh, across the conference, but. I like Western Michigan here. They need to win this game. They are ranked higher than ever. There could be the ego, uh, the ego factor there, but no, I'm I'm just excited to see some good action on a weekday. It's been missing in my life, and I'm glad I finally have it again. Yeah, and, and I just love seeing TJ Fleck being successful. I mean, that guy seems to have the perfect personality and the whole row the boat mentality that he brought. Having a DJ at the games and creating all these custom chants that didn't exist before he got there. I think he's got him rowing to the correct beat, so to speak. And talking about coaching Carousel, where is he going to go? I know he likes Western Michigan, but man, that is a, a highly prized coaching prospect right now. Yeah, I mean, he's young. He's playing wide out. The guy knows the game clearly. I mean, he's, he's got Western Michigan in the conversation, and it, that's, that's a first. So, yeah, I, I have no idea. We're going to kind of have to see where some of the other coaches shake out, but... I mean, he's going to be coaching a Power 5 next year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was. Yeah, I think he might be looking at our real estate in Austin, Texas right now, actually. There's uh, there's that possibility. Yeah, and I mean, and we can also kind of talk about Charlie Strong, if you want. What what do you make of what he's done in the past couple of weeks? What seemingly looks like he might be saving his job. Yeah, we'll, we're going to get to that game in a second, and it might happen this week. Before we do that, though, I want to talk about your team, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. A game now this weekend against Texas Tech. 12-point favorites. Does anything about this game worry you? And before you answer that, just note that I asked that same question to uh, our mutual friend Sean Sullivan about the South Carolina game, and he said nothing at all. And we know how that turned out. Well, I'm definitely not going to answer nothing at all. Um, And that's because if you look at how they played us last year, we were clearly a more talented team, but they they had us in a 17-point deficit in the second quarter. So I think that's the kind of team, if you don't scheme and you're not prepared, they'll just sock you right in the mouth and have 600 passing yards at the end of the game. Luckily for us, we're a high-gamble, high-turnover team. We're top In the past like 10 years, I think we have the most points off turnovers in the country. So I think that bodes well for us, and we play as a pass-heavy team as well. So in practice, we see it every day. So I, I think we're going to match up well, and, and clearly they're two and four, so they've met, you know, staunch defenses. If there was such thing as a trap game uh, against the two and four team, I think in in our conference, I think this would be the one. But do I think we're going to win by twelve or fewer? No, I think we're going to win by maybe thirty. But that's just my confidence in the way I've kind of seen this team play against the Pat Bevy attack. I like that. I like that. You kind of rope them in. Like we respect them. We respect them. We're gonna win by thirty. <laughs> That's good. No, I, I think if you guys get a lead, Tech can throw a bunch. You can pass for six hundred yards, like you said. They are capable of doing it. But if they play from behind, that's when they get too aggressive. The turnovers come and it gets lopsided. I think you'll be fine. But hey, it's the Big Twelve, and Tech is always good for one of those games that just surprises people every year. So hopefully, for your sake, it's not against the Cowboys. I agree. Yeah, I guess also I have a, I have a question for you. Uh, obviously, I'm an OSU guy, so I'm super biased. But we, you see Oklahoma State sitting at what? Uh, they're sitting at, uh, in the last playoff ranking, they were at 17. They just mm-hmm. beat K-State. Yeah. They're sitting as a two-loss team. But everyone in the country knows that one of the losses was uh, an error by refereeing. 
So technically, I mean, you can say it's an eight one team, or do you? What 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 do you think if if Oklahoma State wins out, wins the Big Twelve, and has that you know two losses on their record, but to the committee that's one loss? Yeah. Where do you, where do you think they sit, or how, yeah. how does how does that get? They definitely, they definitely push up to the top 10, but my problem with Oklahoma State, it's not just Oklahoma State, but the, the Big 12, as you know, is down. The one loss, the one legitimate loss, that they do have Baylor not looking as good recently as well with two conference losses. I think right. if it was, but we'll see. I mean, the resume is there. If they go and thrash Oklahoma, which I know you'd be thrilled about, but if they go and thrash Oklahoma, win out, play great football, they can definitely move up more. But I think just because of that, Asterisk. I don't think that that alone is going to hinder them. I think their conference itself is also playing a part in that. But look, there's still a yeah, lot of I football think, left. I think best case scenario, we end up in the top ten. But I don't. I think the top four mentality is that ship sailed. Yeah, yeah, and the the Baylor game too. I mean, it was you guys were there, had had your chances, but you know how this works. You need the teams that beat you to look good themselves to help your resume out. And unfortunately, that hasn't happened, but there is a lot of football left. And like I said, a dominant win over Oklahoma. I know they have two losses out of conference, but none in conference could be uh, just what the doctor ordered for that. I do, though, want to talk about the SEC before we get back to a Big 12 game, and that's Georgia and Auburn. Rob, do you think Auburn might... I mean, they're they're nine-point favorites on the road at Georgia. I know Georgia struggled this year, but this, to me, has trap game written all over it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, uh, Auburn's going against a good quarterback in Jacob Eason and Isaiah McKenzie coming off uh, off the wide receiver spot. You know, they got the talent, and they can put it together, but they also fall apart against teams that they shouldn't have any right falling apart against. So it definitely could be a trap game. And the fact that it's on the road, I think there's a big test for Auburn to kind of see if they're legit before the Iron Bowl. Yeah, I think, too. I mean, they barely beat Vanderbilt. They did that turnover at home in the last minute of the game to win that. So nine points on the road is a pretty high line. You'd like to think that that locked them in. They're like, okay, we're ready to go. We need to be more focused. Georgia's going to throw the ball. Their defense can get exposed. They're a team that's lost some bad games as well, having lost to Vanderbilt themselves. I like Auburn in this game, but I think it's going to be much closer than that nine-point line. I really do. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I think this is... To pun it up, this is going to be a dog fight, truly. Oh, yeah, there it is. I mean, we're, we're a fan of puns on this show, for sure. LSU-Arkansas. Now, Arkansas looking good after a dominant win over Florida. LSU loses 10 nothing to Bama. LSU on the road, seven-point favorites. And I'll be completely honest with you, Rob. It's hard for me to take a team seriously with a line like that when they just don't score the ball that much. Do I think LSU probably gets the edge here? Yeah, but I don't know if they're a touchdown favorite, given how their offense has looked. Yeah, and and, and that's what, that's been Alex's issue all year. They just they just can't score the ball at a specific clip. So if they kind of lay an egg like they have been against certain teams, I mean they were only able to muster 13 against Auburn, Jacksonville State they could only get 34, Mississippi State 23, and Wisconsin they get 14. I, I think they've got to play like they did against Ole Miss when they won 38-21. They've got to have that that kind of that kind of offensive output, or else Arkansas is just going to hang a bunch of points on them. They're not going to be able to dig out of that hole with the uh, you know, subpar offense. I agree. I think LSU's defense could put the clamps on Arkansas. But if Arkansas gets up early, if they score a couple touchdowns, then you get into that awkward position of an LSU offense not really built to put up points in a hurry or play from behind. I think that could be very, very dangerous uh, for the Tigers. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you
you see what Arkansas did with Florida this past weekend. So it's it's proven that they can they can hang points on on a talented team. But this is also the same team that lost fifty six to three to Auburn. So which Arkansas are we going to see? The one that beat Ole Miss in Florida, or the one that got smoked by Bama on Auburn in A and M? True, that's a true statement, and we'll only find out on Saturday. All right, going back now to the Big Twelve. That game I alluded to, Texas West Virginia. Texas now at five and four. West Virginia, <laughs> having lost to your Cowboys last week, getting uh, stomped out, so to speak. Texas is a one point favorite at home. And before we get to the pick, Rob, you are you serious in the fact that you think Charlie Strong can save his job if he wins out? I hate to say it, but I, I think he can. If he, if he plays the games, if they went out, that's, you know, what, an 8-4 and four team? And if they do win out, they'll have beaten West Virginia and TCU. Obviously, that TCU win this year doesn't mean what it means in previous years. But this team did beat Baylor. And the teams they've lost to, for the most part, are pretty good and tough teams. And they did beat Notre Dame early on in the season when we thought Notre Dame was better. So right. Charlie finishes 8-4, and four, he would be, what, Six and three in the Big Twelve if he wins out. I mean, I, I think that saves his job for at least one season this season. But I think if he loses to West Virginia and plays Kansas tight and loses to TCU, I think he's gone in a heartbeat. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a cop out answer here. I think if he wins out going into bowl season, he's still alive. But I think he also needs to win that bowl game too. Yeah, that would make it really interesting. Yeah. You have an eight and four Texas going into a bowl game where they'd probably get a good draw because you know the namesake. Obviously, we know how it works. Our Texas, lots of bowls would like to have them. They get a good game. They get a non-conference game. It's one final audition, one last chance for Charlie Strong. Now I've talked myself into rooting for that now because <laughs> I think they're going to beat West Virginia this week, given what West Virginia's looked like recently. Yeah, yeah. It looks like West Virginia is kind of losing steam. They kind of hung their hat on not turning the ball over, and then did that against Oklahoma State. You know, it's a Dana Holgerson team, so they're gonna they're gonna try and pull some some uh, misdirections and schemes. And luckily, Texas has the athletes that can hopefully sniff that out. And if they're coached well, they know what's coming. But this is a really intriguing game to me, and I think that there's a lot on the line for both programs, depending on who, who takes the win. Another big ranked matchup in the Big 12, Oklahoma and Baylor. Oklahoma at home, 15-point favorites. Do you think, Rob, that this game will be close? Or do you think Oklahoma is just that much better right now than Baylor? I think Oklahoma is that much better right now. I think Baylor's regressing and fading from the spotlight, and, and Oklahoma's really starting to turn it on. In the last three games, they put up 66, 56, and 34, respectively. I mean, Actually, all season, the lowest scoring output they've had is 33, and that was Houston in week one. So I think they're just now hitting stride, and, and Mayfield and Mixon's back, and P. Ryan's practicing today, and then D.D. Westbrook is just on a whole other level of wide receiver right now. So I don't see this being a close game. I think Baylor punches them in the mouth with the run game and then over the top of D.D. Westbrook all day. But that being said, Oklahoma is just now getting into the bulk of their schedule, in my opinion. They're hitting Baylor, then West Virginia, and then they've got to finish up on Bedlam, which could be the de facto Big 12 championship game. So a lot going on with OU right now. And a lot of people see them as a potential dark horse into the playoff. I disagree, but it's, it's <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, I, I would disagree with that last statement as well. But I like Oklahoma, too. I think Baylor, their schedule is catching up with them. 
There's a lot of surrounding noise outside the program, as you obviously know what I mean there. I think this is just a tough... They overachieved early, I'll say that. I think they're not... It's not a case of a team that was just a fraud, but they won some games they probably shouldn't have. They played well, but now you have a Oklahoma team that's locked in in conference play, and as much as we disregard Bob Stoops on the national stage, non-conference games, he's pretty good in this situation, a ranked game against a ranked conference opponent. I like the Sooners here. Last game, before I let you go, and I saved it for last because I think we're going to see something interesting here. USC goes to Washington. Washington, seven and a half point favorites at home. I'm liking upset here, though. I think USC can go into Washington and win this game. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I think I think we kind of touched on it earlier with the idea that, like, which USC are you going to get? And if it's, if it's the USC that comes to play and wants to play spoiler, it's there. And Washington, they're in a position they haven't been in in, you know, a decade or so. They've got to kind of deal with uh, the ego and, you know, hey, we're top of the Pac-12, but we've got these Trojans who know what, what it takes to win. So, man, I'm, I'm excited for this game. And I think this is going to be the, the big Pac-12 matchup that potentially everyone remembers. you got to think Washington knows in the back of their mind, Rob, that if they win this game, it's all there for them. Even going to the Pac-12 title game in a week or a half of the conference that they'd be playing against, this is... Maybe a playoff punching game. I know there's a lot left, but it could be looked at as one when we look at the season in retrospect. But I'm feeling froggy. I'm going to leap. I'm going to go USC goes on the road and wins this game. Yeah, yeah. I, I could definitely see that for sure. All right, Rob. Well, thanks for joining the show. You're always welcome on the Money Mitch Effect. It was, as always, a blast talking college football with you. Yeah, I could do this all day. So anytime <laughs> yeah. you need me. I can attest to that, and I think we would be here all day if I didn't uh, make the executive decision to <laughs> cut the interview. <laughs> Always a pleasure talking to Rob Crowder. It's college football season 10 weeks in, which is really hard to believe. Rob gives sound advice. If you're listening out there, definitely make sure you take it to heart. He knows exactly what he's talking about. All right, now it's time to talk with Zach Dressler, sports professional that I've known for a couple of years, worked with him at NFL Network. He's moved on to BuzzFeed. A lot of experience, a little older than me, veteran in the game. He's a New Yorker living out here in L.A., and he has a lot of interesting stories. We'll get to his background as well as what it was like to run a race against the fastest man of all time, Usain Bolt, is Zach Dressler on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, after uh, weeks of planning, finally lined up one of my favorite upcoming guests here, Zach Dressler, former NFL Network co-worker with myself, a professional veteran in the sports and media game. Zach, thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. We've been trying to line this up, and I wanted to do this for a couple of different reasons. One being that I don't know many people with the experience that you have with the phrase being around the block comes to mind. I'm going to use that term positively on the show. But you do, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. I appreciate that. But, but you do have a lot of experience, not just with sports. It's sports heavy, but you know, in the entertainment industry, working on some projects in television uh, and other uh, areas, stand-up comedy as well. But I'm really glad you're able to come on here. And my first question I'm going to ask you is in regards to sports versus uh, the other one, because we are a sports-heavy podcast. 
How has it been different yeah. with your experience working in sports versus working in other media? I'd say, like, working my route that I've taken in sports and, like, what I've seen is just how much, like, technology has transcended sports media in general. When I was in college, we were doing mini-DV mini tapes, putting them to, like, VHS or beta and then editing them, learning how to do linear editing. And then for audio, if we were doing radio broadcasts, because we would do both on the broadcast track, we would do on, like, Cool Edit, which, you know, doesn't exist anymore. I think Cool Edit is just, like, Adobe, whatever it is now. It's all souped up. When I graduated college in 2004, I started off at Sirius Radio. It wasn't Sirius XM Radio. It was just Sirius Radio. And I never wanted to do sports. I really loved playing sports. I played soccer one year in college, and then I uh, transferred and didn't bother going to play at the other school uh, that I transferred to. and just uh, gained a lot of weight and just enjoyed sports rather than playing them. But I always knew I liked sports. I wanted to do something with sports, whether it was actually playing them or coaching them or, or training. And I think, you know, I really did enjoy broadcast journalism, news, sports journalism, sports news, all that stuff. So I figured, well, since I was kind of an athlete growing up and kind of an athlete in college before I, I just stopped playing, and I really enjoyed doing the sports, uh, the broadcast stuff, maybe I can mix the two. And so, like, you know, when I started off at Sirius, I was just a board operator. I would just run the boards for different shows whenever they needed me and also run the board for the games. But then, you know, I worked my way quick through everything and I became just like a, you know, a tech operator, board operator for a bunch of different shows. Eventually became like an associate producer. I'm moving the chains on Sirius XM NFL Radio with Tim Ryan and Pat Kerwin okay. for about three, four years. During that time when I was at Sirius, I picked up other odd-end jobs because that's what you do in this industry. The hustle, you know, because yeah. you want that paycheck. So I worked freelancing gigs at MTV as like a PA for a bunch of different shows that were non-sports related. They were on like country music television, where like uh, the real life version of Cannonball Run from the movie Cannonball Run, oh, yeah. actual thing that goes on. And, you know, I just did, you know, minor work there and then also picked up a job on the weekends at CBS as a logger, a game logger, and eventually a highlight writer. So I would go in every Saturday and Sunday from like September through pretty much the NCAA tournament. Saturday and Sunday for eight hours, sit down and just, you know, write up all the highlights as they were coming through and make the highlight package because they'd be going live to air. I really loved doing that. That was one of the most fun times I had doing that job, working with the people. You, know, you build a family, you build a rapport. It was a lot of fun. You get, and plus you get to watch all the games. It's not like the worst job you can do on a weekend. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like You know, if you're really into football, which I really, I, I, you know, I love, I love NFL. I enjoy college. I don't watch college as much as I, you know, want to or should. But I really love the NFL, and that was like, you know, a joy for me every Sunday, going from like noon until seven o'clock and just watching a bunch of games. And then I took a little hiatus. Needed some time, you know. All this work can get to you, you know. At 30 mm -hmm. years old, you know, you're like, I kind of need a break. Mm -hmm. So I decided to just skip out of the country for a year uh, and go to Australia. And I lived there, and I got to go to a couple of games and enjoy different sports from that region. I got to learn about cricket. I got to learn about AFL and rugby. I got to uh, go to an Aussie rules football game, which is pretty dope. I got to learn that side of the world for a bit. And then moved back to New York, did a little bit of hustle here and there, but went back to CBS as like a logger writer whenever they needed me. And during the weekday when I wasn't freelancing, I'd work at a restaurant as a, as a meat slinger. <laughs> there was a couple of times I got photographed taking, uh, holding big racks of meat and a meeting in uh, Barbecue America, I think. So I like to think of myself as like a meat model. Oh, barbecue you know, model. It's a nice yeah. thing for a guy who's like 250 pounds. Fitting, yeah. So 
I moved out here in like 2013, beginning of 2014. I met you six months later at NFL. I worked there for eight months, working on the podcast crew. And then uh, now I work at BuzzFeed as a post-production dude. Yeah, we're going to get into some of those uh, jobs specifically, but I think you touched on two things in particular that I uh, completely agree with. And number one, you know, you mentioned the hustle. That's how it works in the industry. And I think anybody out there listening that doesn't have the best idea of what goes on in the sports industry, you have to find ways to not only make ends meet, but as you said, keep it going, keep yourself relevant, give yourself options. Whether it's sports journalism or just in media, whatever your field of expertise in that, you know, that industry is, like if it's broadcast, whether it's news, entertainment, social, or, or sports, or lifestyle, whatever it may be, get in on the ground level when you are 18, like in college. Take internships, because the only way you're going to learn how the industry works is by working in the industry. Because the industry is always changing, and you've got to change with those times. I don't think anybody teaches radio classes in college anymore, because you know while radio is important, they teach the importance of just broadcast, because people can have to do podcasts as opposed to doing radio broadcasts. Yeah, no, I think the biggest thing, too, with that, and another question I want to follow up asking you, you see a lot of, you mentioned board operator getting your starter or loggers or what have you. You were in the industry doing a good job, but you see a lot of those positions where they kind of just settle in and don't advance past that. You were able to kind of move around. What was the thought process there for you to keep trying to move up that ladder and try new things and not you know, get you know, trapped in one specific position? I just wanted to learn as much as I can and try to advance, not as quick as I can, but you know, advance faster and show, and show that I'm, I'm interested in doing whatever it takes. You know, when I was at Sirius, I, I was a guy of many hats on different shows. There was times when I worked on, as a board operator for Bam Margera's show, which was like once a week, or I did once every two weeks, Joey Ramone's underground punk rock radio. I actually got to sit in studio with like Joey Ramone and, and, you know, he would talk about the Ramones and we would play music and I would just have to sit there when he, whenever he was ready to throw to the song, I would just play the song. I got to hear history about music. You know, I, I got to have a lot of opportunity in that. I was like a, I guess, associate producer, board operator for Cabby, who was a non-air jockey back in New York who yeah. came to Sirius for a bit. I got to work on Howard 100, 101 News for a hot second, but in an, even I got to do which was totally out of my out of my league. I was on Cosmopolitan Radio as like a assistant producer, associate producer, board operator. But eventually, I, I went back to sports because in between all these gigs, I would always do sports stuff. Whether it was Full Court Press, which was one of the best shows I ever worked on with D Brown and Rick Mahorn. That was their barrel of laughs. They're really cool dudes. Yeah, tough um, dudes also. And working on you know moving the chains with Tim Ryan and Pat Kerwin. That was one of the best times. That's why I really learned about football. Because I never played football growing up. I just watched it. I played soccer. I played baseball. My parents wouldn't let me play football. So to learn from these two guys, every single aspect of football really made me love the sport and immerse myself in the sport. Yeah, and just a quick uh, aside on that, and you know, that's an amazing experience. And Gosh, well-rounded, as well-rounded as anyone I've ever talked to. You got into Sirius Radio before it was XM. That was, you know, 2004. Twelve years later, are you shocked with how much it's changed and how much it's essentially taken over the radio airwaves game? I mean, I, I have it in my car, and I can't believe how far it's came since the first time I even knew what it was. It's really fascinating to see how well it's done because I thought at one point it might have peaked, 
yeah. like late 2008, 2009. But I have it in my car, and I never had it when I was working there. But I knew every, you know, I would listen to it when I was at work, and I knew everything that was going on in the office in terms of programming. Now that I now work there, and I have it in my car, listening to regular radio is great, but there's so many options. It's great how much they provide, and it's just, it's so much yeah. how, it's, it's fascinating how much it's changing, because I think it's, it helps podcasting, because I think there are people who work at Sirius, or, you know, who, who supplement their stuff with a podcast. Yeah, listening to music now, you're ultimately changed because you can hear it commercial free, just about. And you're right, with the total number of shows, with the amount of content, there really is something for everybody at all times. I just think right. that it's the better medium, especially with where, the way we're going culturally as a, with technology. I think that's just the best setting for that. Talking with Zach Dressler on the Money Mitch Effect. Before we get to the sports side of things again, you know, your background is interesting, and you also have a lot of experience in the comedy world. The stand-up experience that you have, and also the web series that you have, Zach and Me. Would you talk a little bit about that for people that don't understand the uh, multifaceted side of your entertainment <laughs> experience? Yeah, so I, I've always loved to make people laugh. I've always enjoyed the lighter side of life. I can you know, attest and, you that. Know, if you're too serious, it's not fun. In this industry... There is a lot of seriousness, but you need to have a lot of fun, too. And I think that if you can balance that, it makes working in this industry a lot more fun and bearable. When I started off at Sirius, I really wanted to be on air. And I, I, still, I still have aspirations to be on air, but not as a sports announcer or a reporter as I once did when I graduated college. And one of the great things at Sirius that one of my bosses offered me was that I could use the recording studio and practice doing two-minute anchor updates that they would have. And... I didn't like the seriousness of it all. After doing it for so many months, the way I would read it, I was just like, I'm, I, this, this is not me. I'm not enjoying reading this news the way I am. So I would just start joking around and having a lot more fun. Now, doing that, obviously, they would, nobody was going to take me seriously. They want someone who has a personality but knows the sports and doesn't want to take the piss out of all sports all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I was too young, so I didn't you know, know much about the history of sports, which I had to learn. But, you know, I really wanted to learn how to do stand-up, learn how to do improv, learn how to do write sketches, learn how to be spontaneously funny. And someone in the newsroom, this guy, James Eason, who was, he, he wasn't involved in sports, but he was the traffic and weather guy, like he would handle traffic and weather for serious. We just got to talking one day, and he was like, you know, if you're interested in doing comedy, it's like, I recommend doing improv first so you get familiar being on stage. Right. So, because it's frightening being on stage, but it's also, eventually you learn to embrace that fear and turn it into your own little uh, adrenaline rush. So I started taking classes for improv at the UCB Theater in New York in 2006 and learned improv from some great, great improv teachers, great actors, great entertainers. And eventually I was able to do certain things at work that were funny, like I got to do some funny man on the street stuff for some sports channels that were on Sirius. And I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, as I got older, I, got, I became a better writer. I took sketch classes. I took storytelling classes and really learned how to, you know, mold teaching story, putting story in, in scripts. But when I really got to hone on my stand-up stuff was when I moved to Australia, actually. Because, I mean, I was, I was able to do a lot of stand-up in New York, but when you're doing stand-up, you know, it's half, sometimes you're performing in front of three people, sometimes you're performing in front of ten people, sometimes... It could be 30, 40 people, but it's a crapshoot, and, you know, you really want to work on your craft, and everybody does that, and it's great, and I miss doing that in New York. Mm-hmm. 
But what I, you know, what I enjoyed about Australia was that there was a lot of people coming to shows that weren't just comics who were just sitting, waiting their turn to tell jokes. And so I really got to advance my stand-up sets faster because I was performing in front of live audiences, people right. that weren't just there who were waiting their turn to get up on stage. But that's, you know, that's also the career of a you know, stand-up, is that you have to start from the bottom and work your material and hone your craft. I mean, it's been a year since I've done any stand-up on stage because I've just been so busy with other stuff. But when I was in Australia, I, I got to really hone. I got to perform in front of great audiences who were really receptive and, you know, come back to New York and do it for a hot second before I just stopped doing it because I need to focus on other career stuff. Mm -hmm. well, uh, but yeah, what's it's great about doing the stand-up is I can take that anywhere because and apply it to anything I'm doing, whether it's writing scripts for TV or writing scripts for web series. And getting back to talking about the web series, when I was in Australia and I was performing, I met a producer and a director, Paul Comadina and Nat Lewis. We became very good friends. I met Paul waitering at tables at the restaurant I was working at in Australia. He would come by for you know coffee every morning. We would just chit-chat and shoot, and I'd make him laugh. And he approached me right before I left for the States back from, from Australia about this web series idea called Zach and Me. It's his story. He, he wanted me to help see it out and be actor and write a little bit of it. The story, basically, the premise is it's a story about a 16-year-old Australian girl, very lovely girl, very quiet, mm -hmm. uh, but she has an imaginary friend called Zach, who I play. <laughs> and he's a loudmouth, New Yorky, American dude. No kidding. So I try to help her out from her day-to-day struggles of being a you know 16 year old teenage girl and I give her terrible advice but in the end it always works out when we first started this off we entered a competition for funding and it was just a three minute you know scene of a, of a script that Paul wrote like a teaser about a month and a half later we placed in the competition so the competition boosted our our crowdsourcing funding by three to one so we ended up raising seventy five hundred dollars in the first day of our crowdsourcing and the competition raised it three to one, so we ended up getting twenty-two five out of it. Wow, that's uh, no, that's and, a, that's amazing. And I think going back to your thoughts on comedy, Zach, I think you're right. You can always use that in any two other sports or entertainment, making people laugh. And and we're on the same page thinking wise. But most people like to see the enjoyable side of sports or entertainment or you know life in general. It's interesting about the web series though, is that it it started again with you just hustling working a side job, meeting the right person, and then showing persistence, and uh, ultimately it sounds like it paid off. Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, it's from this web series. I don't think we're going to make any more episodes, which is unfortunate, but it, the difficulty of when your friends that you helped with, that who you wrote it with, are on the other side of the world. So I was able to also apply to a bunch of web festivals, and through these web festivals, I've met other content creators and people I'm going to work with. You never should stop. You should never give up. You can always put things on the back burner, but just pick them up and, and repolish them and rebuff them and, and work on them. That's the other thing about comedy that I love is that, and acting, is that people always, with models and everything, like, they always want you to look younger. They always want the youngest person because that's what sells. With comedy and acting, yes, acting looks do matter, but you can be older and be an actor. You can start comedy at any time. I mean, Ronnie Dangerfield started comedy when he was, I think he was like late 30s, early 40s, maybe. Maybe even later than that. Yeah. You know, and he was one of the best comedians of all time. Right. It's the body of work you put in, in that time, that's going to make you succeed. I totally agree with that. Uh, talking with Zach Dressler on the Money Mitch effect, the uh, cuss button works properly. We're going to get a workout with that today. No, but 
Um, no, I, I agree with what you said. It, it has honed a lot of skills and to not give up and to keep pushing towards your dreams. You never know when you're going to when you're going to have an opportunity, so it is very uh, sound advice. I want to get back to your uh, sports experience for a second. We met each other yeah. in the uh, end of summer in 2014. We worked the season together yep. at the NFL. And I remember, you know, you were the audio podcast expert there. There was a lot of people, you know, we came in in the production department, about 30 of us hired at the same time. And I know from experience it's harder to stand out when there's that many people all starting the same job together, what was your takeaway from that experience working at the NFL and ultimately trying to stand out? What I gathered, what I gained from NFL was it helped me become a better video producer. Up until that point, I hadn't really had my hand in video as much as I should have, even digital content or TV form content other than the CBS stuff, but I was just the writer watching the editors edit while I talked to them about the highlights. And what I loved the most about it was at NFL, even though it was, it was so, uh, I want to say, like raw at that point when I came in, the fact that they were working towards making video podcasting was, was, is great. And the fact that they've, they're, they're there and they're, they're doing really well is great. When I was there, the studio had just been built. They were working out all the kinks, all the video kinks. It was very raw. It was very, it was very different. Like we had to do a lot of posts as opposed to stuff that we could do live, which I see they're doing now. And I think that when you see an opportunity, like I knew I didn't have the video experience I had that I wanted to have the way that everybody else had. I think that you and, and all the other people we worked there, Ty and all those guys, the, right. the experience that they knew about the video editing, throwing filters on, making it look like this, making this short, making it this length, you know, I, I, I observed and watched them do it, but I decided to take my chance doing the podcast because I knew more about radio and I knew more about audio. And if I could slowly learn the video and meld those together, I think I, you know, I was able to shine that way. You know, I think it's just knowing your abilities and applying them and knowing your limitations, knowing that you can break through those limitations, but knowing that like, you can't just go in there and be like, yes, I know how to operate a camera because I've held an iPhone before. Mm -hmm. They're very different from a Canon. They're very different <laughs> from a Nikon, you know, but you have to be humble about what you do know. And, apply it to wherever you're at. At the same time, you also need people that are willing to teach you. And I think I had great coworkers around me, like you guys, who were able to assist me when I was making video edits and video highlights and all that stuff. No, and I think, you know, you're, you're right in one, in one specific regard in that there were so many opportunities at NFL Network. All jobs, all jobs have highs and lows. And the fact that there were so many opportunities was a little bit of both because you could get bogged down in what you know and it took courage to kind of just go on the outside, observe, like you said, learn from the right people, and, uh, right. again, keep learning different things. When I came in there, I wasn't thrilled that they were wanting me to go on the podcast. I'm going to be honest. I was not thrilled mm -hmm. because I really wanted to do features and highlight reels and all that type of stuff. Right. But I, I wasn't good at them. Like, I, I knew that inside. Like, I knew that, and I knew when they would hand me the work that I could do it, but it wasn't as good as some other people that were doing it. And I would have loved to expedite that and, and learn faster, but I ended up taking what I wanted, what, what they were giving me because mm -hmm. I knew I would be able to succeed better and hopefully still learn the other stuff at the same time, which I did, which everybody else there showed me, right. including people on podcasts. And I think you were just a year off, I would say, timing-wise. You know how everything in life is timing. Uh, they had just right. built the video podcast studio and... 
within a year, I mean, we both pretty much ended, ended our tenure there around the same time. Everything changed. They're full video now on just about everything. But no, I, it was a great experience. I mean, getting to know a lot of you guys, uh, speaking for myself here, I think it was just great to, you know, make a bunch of new friends and new sports professionals. Right. And I felt we all kind of complimented each other pretty good because I don't think any one of us was the same. Very good quality to have in a group of 30. Uh, and there was, yep. you know, we okay. all had our strengths and weaknesses. And as you said, you observe in some of the video people, I mean, I, I can speak for a lot, and we observe you guys in the podcast thing as well. So I think we all took the strengths and tried to emulate what we saw from other people. It was a very uh, a very good experience. Agreed. I couldn't have come into a better situation, A, making friends, because when you, you know, it's hard when you move at any rate, at any age. And, you know, I'll say any age, but really I'll say mid-30s where I'm at now. When you're older, you know, like, you're different where you were in your 20s. Your 20s, you're young, excited, you have the stamina to do anything, you know. 12 o'clock comes, you're like, we're raging until 4 a.m. When you get 30, it's like, it's like 2 a.m. Yeah. And then when you're 35, it's like, oh, it's 10 o'clock, I need to go to bed. You know, and I'm sure there's other 35s who are out there being like, this guy's a loser, and that's fine. I have no problem, whatever. I'm not, but you can say that. Yeah. Um, it's just, it was harder making friends at my age moving being around you guys was great because you guys became my friend because we had common, we had things we liked. We enjoyed sports. We enjoyed mm -hmm. comedy. We enjoyed It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. We enjoyed South Park. You know, we enjoyed making fun of the things we were watching in sports. I mean, there were things that were going on the TV that we had that weren't on sports, you know, that we, we were enjoying watching. I mean, that's the other beauty, I think, where you're working in the sports room is that, you know, you're sitting there and there's TVs galore and you can put on anything you want with oh, the exception yeah. of, like, softcore porn. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's we're all the sitting there bonding on different things, you know, the Bachelor, the Bachelorette, whatever it may be. Yeah. No, it was. It was like joining a fraternity, I thought. That's the best way to describe it. You know, you meet yeah, exactly. everybody at the same time, and it was, it was a, mix, definitely... a mixed fraternity, a, uh, both male and female. <laughs> right, yeah. We, we got to show, you know, that was a metaphor. We got to, you know, show respect for the, the female side. It was the same <laughs> thing, so... Uh, talking, exactly. talking with Zach Dressler, Money Mitch Effect. All right, I want to dive right now into your work uh, at BuzzFeed. I just want to bring this up because you get the chance at BuzzFeed to make appearances in some of the videos that are have gone viral. And as a sports guy, yeah. I'm going to be honest, never been more jealous of just about anyone than when you got to star in that video with Usain Bolt. If you haven't seen it, anyone <laughs> listening, Usain Bolt goes to BuzzFeed and... Uh, BuzzFeed employees try to break his time in a nice comedy video that Bull himself starred in. And our guest today, Zach Dressler, you made an appearance, and uh, I don't, I think I'll spoil it for people who haven't watched. You didn't break the record. So I don't no, know no, unfortunately. I came a close, distant second. <laughs> so what was that experience like, just being in that video and also getting to meet the fastest man in all of history? So it was, it was a really cool day. I mean, there was a rumor that he might show by, and we could do this video and nobody knew exactly what was going on and then we heard he was coming coming in and he came in and he surprised a bunch of people when we, when we found out he might be coming you know they wanted to know who would be willing to, to race against them now it wasn't on a track it wasn't even enough it wasn't the, the the distance we ran was 100 meters but it wasn't even a perfect straight line so when he came in i mean you just see this tall he's tall he is a tall dude he's like six four probably yeah. six three six four i'm six one and a half close to six two so he was he was taller than that 
and he has this presence. He has this. It's kind of like it's kind of like what Charlie Murphy said. He has this aura. He Rick came James, through, yeah. and he had this aura. <laughs> like you know what I mean? He came through, and he just has such a presence, and he's confident, and he's not cocky because there's a difference between cocky and confident. If he's the fastest man in the world, so he can be both. Mm-hmm. But he's just confident. He knows no matter what, he is the man. Oh, yeah. He is the the fastest man alive. And he came in, and he was like, I heard some people want to challenge me on our record. Let's go. So they took us outside, and, you know, he gave us some pointers, gave us some stretching tips. Uh, I'm sure that I didn't look like I got any pointers from him, but, you know, some of them helped. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, it was just really cool. I haven't ran that distance. I haven't ran any distance, whether it's 100 meters or a mile, for that frequent amount of time in a long time. But I wanted to do as fast as I can, so I, I didn't want to, like, hurt myself. So came out of the gate and I just I just went for it and I think I went a little too hard because right at 75 meters instead of making it a gradual right turn it is a full 90 degree hard right stop and turn and when you're a big guy when you're like 250 260 and you're running it's like trying to stop a juggernaut you know like you yeah. can't just stop on a dive and go so I had to like stop then re-pick turn and then re-pick up my speed for the last 25 meters. Now, I had a lot of adrenaline going in my body, so it didn't matter. But I know, I think I got like a time of like 17, high, you know, high 17, maybe even 18. I know I could have dipped under 15 if it was just a straight line. Because I was cruising at one point. I was cruising. But I had so much adrenaline, it didn't matter. And at the end, I was just, I, I asked him because I had so much adrenaline. I didn't want to hurt him. I asked him if I could chest bump him because I was so amped. And he was like, yeah, man, and we just chest bumped. And he's just, he's just the coolest dude in the world. Like, I, don't think I, uh, I don't think I've met a cooler guy. In, in a brief period of time, I don't think I've met a cooler guy than him. Well, you know what's interesting? I'm glad you asked him as a Bolt fan and someone that doesn't want to see him get any of his ribs broken, that you asked him if you could <laughs> right. chest bump him. But, uh, no, I mean, that's great, though. That's, that's an unbelievable story, one that, like I said, I'm very jealous of. But I think it's awesome, too. You know from experience, and, and I know to a lesser degree, that not all athletes, not all of our heroes are cool. They can be rude and no. they can be snobby. And to hear that this all-time great, probably top 10 athlete of all time, was just the coolest guy is a good story. And I agree. Yeah, I mean, with, listen, yeah. here's, and here's, here's another reason how you know this. Like, I got to meet a lot of athletes working at NFL radio. and Just, just in general, I got to meet a lot of people. And the coolest dude that I never thought would be cool because, you know, I, I knew about him growing up in the 80s. I knew what type of player he was. He was a bad boy. He was from Detroit Pistons, Rick Mahorn. Uh, and yeah. working with Rick for, like, the year that I did, it was the year that the uh, the Celtics won the championship with, like, uh, with like Garnett yeah, and all those dudes. I got to work with him and D. Brown. And D. Brown was cool as fuck. He's great. But, like, Rick Mahorn is one of my top five favorite people, athlete-wise, because... Mm-hmm. A, the stories he would tell off air, B, the stories he would tell on air, and C, his just, his cool, like, he was just a guy that just didn't give a fuck, but was so cool about it. We became friends, and he would text me, he would text me randomly in the middle of the night, and it was, he was just a cool, funny dude. Right. And I think that on TV, he has this bad boy persona, like, you know, he was part of bad boy, you know, he pulled the chair from under people when people were going for rebounds or when they were posting up. It was, you know, Lambeer, that's who they were. But I think that's just a persona, and I think that the people that you see on TV, there's certain people that have that persona because they, they feel like that's what they have to be. And I think there's a lot of guys who have that persona because they just perceive that way because of the way they play and their style and the way they act on the court. But really, they're just giant teddy bears of 
all the fun and, you, you know, incredible human beings. I mean, I can't tell you how many times Rick and I would make each other laugh on air because Rick would say something ridiculous and I would play a sound effect and then we would just, everybody would lose in the studio. That was one of the most fun shows I ever worked on. And, you know, as cool as it was meeting someone like Usain Bolt, who is definitely the coolest guy. The, the guys that don't have the big name or do, but they, you know, you forget about them. They're role players. They're cool. They just, you just don't know about it because all you see it on TV. Don't, don't judge people on what you see on like a YouTube clip or like For on sure. TV. I mean, you can if you want, For but sure. there's more to it than just that. And For I think sure. like the fact that I got to work with Rick in a cool way like that, I just, I'll never forget that. All right, no, that sounds like an unbelievable experience. Again, talking with Zach Dressler on the Money Mitch Effect. Before I let you go, i got to talk to you about another thing that's like a passion of yours that I've seen just being friends and a follower on Snapchat. So every Sunday, <laughs> so I know you're laughing because you know what I'm about to bring up. Every Sunday when the games are going on and everybody's living or dying for what their team's doing, and you're a New Yorker, you're a Giants fan, your go-to move is to put Snapchat filters on everything. And when I say everything, I mean literally everything. It could be Bill Belichick at a press conference, uh, Tom Brady yep. at fourth and three, Eli making his Eli face on the sideline. And it gets to a point where, I know the first time I saw it, I thought, what is this? It took me five or six, but then, you know, the laughs started coming. What was the inspiration for that? And I, I just, I just want to know how you thought of something so ridiculous. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, we talk about loving what you do. And even though I'm not currently working in sports, I always love sports. I'll always love miss working in sports. And I think, I don't think there's anything more, I love to do more on those 17 to whatever, 22 Sundays to just sit down on a Sunday and just watch all the games. You know, I never got to do this because I was always focused, you know, when I was working on a Sunday, focusing on the two to three or four games that were assigned to me. Mm -hmm. You know, we were looking for funny things to see if there were any bloopers, but we always had to stick to the, the highlights, the basics, the big plays, all that stuff. And so I was just sitting there and I was like, how funny it would be if I could just, because I had, I had the NFL package for like a hot moment that first week. I was like, how funny it would be if I just, as much as I could, just create a story on Snapchat. Like, and I'm not a huge Snapchatter. Like, I Snapchat every once in a while. Mostly like my dogs and me doing stupid things. But every Sunday, I figured it'd be funny if I could do a Snapchat NFL story, regardless of where I am. If I can only watch three games, if I can only watch one game, but the 8 o'clock, 5 o'clock game, you know, mm -hmm. depending on where you are in the time zone. And I just, just wanted to add my own little funny, quirky things that I really couldn't add all those years at working at all these various sports vendors. A, because some things aren't appropriate, but B, also because, you know, I'll say this, there's a lot of old thinking in sports, and I think it's slowly turning into a thing where they're thinking, they're seeing, like, how the youth digests content, and other people digest content when it comes to sports. You know, I just wanted to be able to do something funny where I was just taking snapshots of filters of Tony Romo. Eli Manning, Bill Belichick, even, you know, with, with Snapchat now, you can take video and put the emojis and you can animate the emojis. You can do it right. I'm still just guessing. I'm literally just throwing things on there and holding it down, hoping that it, it tracks whatever's running. And even I went, to, I, the week two, I got to go to the San Diego game and I used a couple of Snapchats there. It's just, it just, it just fun for me to continue to think that I'm involved in sports, right. even though I'm not in any way, knowing that I'm sending them to you and some other people, whoever else decides to go to my Snapchat account to watch, just something different. I don't know. That's, it's, just, it's just my own weird, imagine, crazy imagination and, and you know, ways I, I entertain myself. Sometimes 
I, I think something is hysterical and I'll show it to some billion people like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But to me, it makes me laugh. So I figured, right. hey, there's got to be some other person that's crazy as I am or thinks this is funny. And people read my Snapchat story. The ones I think that, that do well, I'll like re retweet or yeah. on my Twitter account or I'll put on Instagram or I'll put on Facebook. But I don't know. I just, I just miss doing fun football things and nobody's here telling me I can't do them. Might as well do. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah, it's it is great though, and, and I think the fact that you're just taking your chances, being yourself, regardless of whether or not people always find it funny, is something special. And yeah, it's just the light moment that I've become accustomed to on Sundays. You're watching a game in a tense environment, and then here comes Andrew Luck with a bunch of gold coins shooting out of his nose. It's just it, it's whatever, <laughs> whatever you need in yeah. that moment. But no, I think it's great, and uh, I hope. You're going to keep making them. Uh, it's become a Sunday ritual, so you're going to have to keep going. On Absolutely, that. man. Well, I'm glad someone's watching them. As long as someone is watching them, I will keep making them. And lastly, before I uh, before we wrap this up, you're a New York guy, the New York sports scene. It's been interesting the last uh, decade. What do you think, Giants uh, specifically? I know you're a G-Men fan. Is this going to be their year they yeah. get back to the playoffs? You know, I really want to believe that it is. But deep down inside, I just don't, I don't see it, which, which sucks. But what's great about the NFC or being a Giants fan in the NFC is that anything is always possible with any team. I think the Cowboys are always the favorite. Or Eagles always, always are fight, having a fighting chance. In the recent two years, the Redskins have shown to be a affordable first-place winner. Anything can happen as long as you have a guy. I mean, both times the Giants won, they weren't incredible. They wow. had great stretches of being brilliant. But, you know, I think it's just being in the right place at the right time for them. And if we find ourselves at, at the end of November with a game out of being in first place or the wild card, anything's possible. Yeah. You know? Nobody, nobody in the NFC really wows me. You know, Minnesota True. losing two in a row, I thought maybe they were down. No, that doesn't wow me. You know, there's nobody that really – Atlanta looks good, but they're giving up a lot of points as well. Mm. Typically the stronger defense goes well. I mean, it's anybody's game. Do I think the Giants spent too too sorry? <laughs> Do I think the Giants spent too much money on the defense in the offseason? Yeah, a little bit. I think there's other places they could have gone. They could have gotten role players with decent price salaries, but hey listen, I'm open to anything at this point. I think Eli's got another good and when I say good, I say, you know, another run in him for another three, maybe four years. I mean he's a man, he go forever. You know, like the energizer bunnies. Right. Uh, plus, you know, who doesn't want to see Eli, Eli Manning dumb face every Sunday for another four or five years? Um, <laughs> yeah. How sweet is it to have that bragging right over every NFC East team that you've won two Super Bowls and they can't even sniff a ring in <laughs> the last couple decades? It, it makes me feel great. Like, it makes me, after we beat the Patriots the first time, to me, it never mattered how many more the Patriots won. But the fact that we did it twice, Tom Brady can do whatever he wants or people can think he's cheating or deflate gate or anything like that. I don't care. My quarterback beat him twice. My team beat him twice. He's, he's got a record of four and two. Those two losses came by Eli Manning and the Giants. It's great. I mean, people, people are like, oh, well, they haven't won since 2001. I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'm good with that. When was the last time team Europe, you know? There's a couple of people that could brag, obviously. Anybody that's won since 2011? Sure. Yeah. Have at it. Have at it, you yeah. Know? My team's got four in my lifetime. I might have been I might have been young the first time it happened, but I remember ninety or whatever ninety one. I remember you know all the rest. Wow, 
four championships. Well, I think there is optimism. I, I agree that the NFC is kind of wide open. And, uh, yeah, I know Ben McAdoo, sometimes he looks like he's a, a good coach. Other times he has this weekend at Bernie's thing going on. But, no, I think. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's really weird. It's, it's, it's really strange. I don't. I think he's a great coordinator. I'm, I'm still not convinced he's a great head coach. I'm hoping that changes, obviously, being that he is our head coach. I always loved Tom. People hated on Tom. Mm-hmm. Anybody in New York, the fact that Tom lasted that many years, over a decade, proves, especially in New York, proves what a quarter, what kind of you know, coach he was. And I, I, think he went, I think he went a little too soon. I get why people wanted him out. People want to change. But, hey, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Zach, for uh, joining the show. I know you're uh, a true New Yorker and a true uh, veteran in the uh, entertainment game, and you know, I had a blast. This was uh, this was a very good interview. Nailed it. Yeah, man. I had a lot of fun with you. It was a lot of fun doing this. We should do this again sometime. Oh, absolutely. Next time I, next time I race with Usain Bolt or, or another famous fast person. Right. Yeah. Or maybe you know you and uh, you and Rick Mahorn put a, a rebounding video out. I think I'd, I'd watch uh, that. I would love to do a rebounding <laughs> video with Rick Mahorn. Yeah. All right, Zach. Well, I appreciate it. We'll definitely be crossing paths in the near future. And uh, best of luck with everything. Yeah, man. I'll see you soon. Probably tonight. <laughs> Probably. Thanks again to Rob Crowder and Zach Dressler for coming on the Money Mitch Effect on this beautiful Monday. It was a pleasure talking to both of those guys. And I know both of them will be back on the show. Zach has some more stories. Rob has some more college football info to sling out. There's a lot more where that came from this week. Two more shows lined up. We have basketball. We have hockey. NFL football. Of course, we got to get into the betting side of NFL football. UFC pay-per-view this weekend. And other sports information that you're going to want to listen to here on the Money Mitch Effect. You can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21 for all your sports takes and other uh, daily advice that I'll provide you every once in a while. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Money Mitch Effect.